Welcome to the Criterion Chat, a podcast dedicated to discussing those titles chosen by the Criterion Collection for preservation. I'm Nate Myers, joined by Matt Peterson, as we discuss Gutz Spielmann's 2008 thriller, Revanche, on tonight's episode. A tranquil pond and Austria's forested countryside are disrupted by the chance encounters of their human inhabitants. Alex, played with subtle brooding angst by Johannes Krisch, is an ex-con working in Vienna's red light district at a brothel. Unbeknownst to the brothel's owner, Alex is in a clandestine relationship with Tamara, enacted by Irina Potapenko, a Ukrainian immigrant who owes a substantial financial debt that keeps her prostituting. In an effort to escape their world and begin a life together, Alex hatches a bank robbery plot that will bring him into contact with a countryside police officer, Robert, and his wife, Suzanne, who are struggling to conceive a child. Revanche unfolds slowly to reveal an intricate web of humanity, where often the greatest mysteries are within one's own self. Forgoing the thriller genre's usual tropes, writer-director Spielmann offers a Spartan film devoid of glamour, heavy plotting, and artifice. Subtlety and human complexity are at the heart of this tale of loss and recovery. Featuring restrained cinematography and editing, Revanche invites its audience to explore its characters as the actors craft multifaceted performances. Released by the Criterion Collection on DVD and Blu-ray in 2009, Gotz Spielmann's Oscar-nominated international breakthrough blends beauty and tragedy into its exploration of humanity. Join Matt and me, as we walk through the forest of Revanche. Matt, as we begin our conversation here this evening on Revanche, this is our first film from Austria that we have discussed on the podcast. And I think perhaps if we're talking about the mission of the Criterion Collection as being one that's preserving important films of either classic or contemporary nature, uh, this one immediately satisfies that goal because it does teach us without any reservation that not everybody from Austria sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, it's always funny to be hearing Austrians and just realizing that accent from Schwarzenegger is very much his. It is not an Austrian accent. It's very much unique to the man himself. Yeah. Uh, but... Actually, moving into the movie uh, that we have before us here, Revanche, uh, I really uh, have appreciated this film for a number of years now since I first saw it. I probably saw it maybe six or seven years ago uh, for the very first time and uh, was immediately taken with it. Uh, And particularly, I just want to maybe begin by thinking of that opening shot and sequence. Uh, One of the things I think that's incredibly important and maybe doesn't get enough attention from filmmakers is how you establish the movie right off the bat in terms of your choice of where to begin the story and what you're shooting. And that opening shot of the pond, the water being perfectly still, but seeing the reflection of the tree line, which is then, of course, reversed, it's upside down. And then eventually, as the credits are unfolding, uh, an object breaks into this pond, is thrown into it, causing these ripples to emerge, is just a wonderfully rich introduction to this film with so much uh, information in it, so much that we have going on. So uh, it's truly, truly a remarkable work uh, in that opening shot. And I just think that sets the tone for the rest of the film. 
Uh, I don't know if you have any initial reactions or if you were as impressed with that beginning as I was, but I just thought I'd reach out to you or begin there to see where we'd want to uh, maybe take this conversation. Yeah, it really is a microcosm for the entire film in a way, right? I mean, a lot of it takes place in a rural setting and you have that reflection of the forest. And, and of course, the whole film is about um, about the ripples that one can make in the lives of others, right? I mean, that is a perfect visual representation. But it pulls us in as, as a member of the audience, too, because we we want to know what that splash is about, right? What's being thrown into the water. And we kind of hope that that pays off by the end of the film. And it certainly does. Um, kind of reminded me of the opening of uh, thin red line, even with the, the crocodile kind of slithering into the water. Uh, so very much a metaphorical natural image that, as you said, sets the tone. And it's um, even the, the way the credits are displayed was kind of interesting. It was just, you know, block text, multiple credits on the screen at once, just kind of getting it out of the way sort of thing, which Mm -hmm. was kind of a unique way to do it. And, um, yeah, it's a good opening. It's effective, and obviously it uh, comes back to be explained uh, later in the film. Right. It's, uh, I guess, in a certain sense, a disruption of narrative continuity because it presumably is uh, the shot that would make sense with a scene towards the climax of the film. Yeah. Uh, but even beyond just that opening shot, too, just the sequence, right, where we're introduced to the home of uh, Robert and Suzanne as we're uh, seeing their domestic life in the country there also ha- plays as this interesting little prelude uh, to what's going to come later on in the film. And it's just it's a kind of an interesting beginning, almost like a prologue before the main thrust of the narrative begins as we will go to Vienna and see the story of Alex and Tamara uh, start to unfold for us. So I, I just think that this film gets right uh, the sense of pacing and tone very well in terms of how you want to create uh, an engaging story, but it doesn't do it in a flashy way. It doesn't do it in a very contrived way. It does it in a very subtle, engrossing way. Uh, that's really refreshing to see. Um, yeah, and, I, I uh, agree. I, I think, I don't know, I, I look at films like this that are very economical, right? I mean, like you said, there's not a lot of cuts. Camera movement's pretty restrained. I mean, the camera moves, and there are some tracking shots and pans and whatnot, but everything is very well chosen in terms of what's shown and what isn't shown. And uh, I, I love that kind of filmmaking. I mean, to me, that's almost kind of the pinnacle you can almost see it as like the pinnacle of cinematic language uh to a degree it's just really like you said stripping away the artifice to the point of you know presenting things cinematically and it pulls you in but it's not excessive and you feel the hand of the director behind really every choice that's made here and this is very much a film about details, I felt like. And there are little kind of exclamation marks here and there that I thought were interesting. Simple things, even like that first shot with Alex just sitting on the bed. And it comes across as a very kind of dark and brooding sort of setting, right? He's kind of in this dumpy little apartment, and he's sitting on this bed alone. And and we're clearly in the city, and the, the train's kind of going by outside. Anytime you have a train 
going by close by to an apartment, you know it's just not a great apartment, right? <laughs> it's probably mm-hmm. a low-rent apartment. And when, you know, the doorbell rings or the door, door knock is heard, he does that little flip backwards on the bed like a little child that's excited, you know? <laughs> and the first time I saw that, it just kind of caught me off guard that I uh, didn't expect to see that in that uh, scene because the, the tone that originally set up was very different. So little things like that that subvert your expectations I thought were, were kind of nice little touches and and it does, uh, it's a nice character detail and it shows that Alex, you know, really is in love here and and he's wanting to find a better life for them uh, even though his choices obviously aren't great. I'm glad that you brought up the sort of the presence of the director in this film because I think that's, something that's worth commenting on here. Spielmann's directorial sense, and he, of course, also wrote the script, uh, are very, as you said, noticeable, but not in a egoistic sort of way. I, I think yeah. that the director could easily be lost in sense of he's at the service of his story, but he has a clear vision and a clear intentionality in how he's approaching this. Everything seems very purposeful and thoughtful, and that, of course, is an engaging thing of its own, right? I imagine this film would play poorly with the general audience because it isn't a particularly exciting movie in the sense that there's a lot of kinetic energy. Uh, because it is so restrained, it's probably going to have a limited audience appeal. But the audience that it will appeal to is, I think, going to be particularly rewarded because they're going to find this to be that kind of film that merits repeat viewings, that merits... Um, consideration and comment afterwards. Uh, your, your example there of Alex having that surprise spring uh, off the bed, right, is very much indicative of many other elements in the film because no character here really plays out like a cliche. They all play out like real people, and thus there's bizarre complexities. Clearly, Alex is not living a happy life, but there is this relationship with Tamara that brings him joy, and that, then you can see, well, that's what's going to propel this man who's uh, been convicted in the past of stealing uh, as suffering through that and the ramifications of it to try this again, right? And to try to go back into that world with the effort of getting out of it. Uh, so it does have these wonderful, realistic uh, uh, sensibilities that then make the film, I think, much more significant and weighty than it would have been handled in another setting with another director, another filmmaker. I think this could have easily become tawdry. It could have become fairly paint by numbers. Uh, even the, the sense of being gritty and sleazy at times can be done in a very distancing kind of way. But where you see this here, you know, particularly the scenes with the brothel, they're done in a way that really makes you think that's probably pretty close to what life is like. It's not like uh, the, I mean, the casting decisions, you know, not just of the main actors, but of just the other people in the background all strike you as that's a real person, right? There isn't any of the glam that you'd find in a Hollywood production of this story where you have basically supermodel prostitutes in the uh, brothel. You have very normal looking women who kind of seem tired and a little bit worn out, but they're physically attractive enough that you could see why they're in this business. Uh, so it's an interesting way in which just the whole approach of it, it's done with, a, I think, a very clear vision by Spielmann. This film really is all about restraint. 
right? I mean, we're talking about the restraint and the directorial choices, but the if I had to kind of sum up this whole film in one phrase, I, I, I would say that it's really about the threat of violence, right, more than violence itself. I mean, the whole film is just kind of simmering with this undercurrent of, of you could call it suspense, but just the, the threat, the threat of something about to occur. And the film is very deliberate about not showing certain things. I mean, even that the scene where Alex is, you know, beating up that patron in the brothel, uh, it's pretty much off screen. I mean, we, uh, the, the door frame kind of cuts off most of that fight. Mm -hmm. We just see little pieces of it. And, and that's very, um, obviously very deliberate. So this film is very much about restraint and, there's a fair amount of nudity in the film, but there's really no sex in the film until that one scene later on. And, and the act of sex is portrayed as a form of violence in a way. I mean, it's not really a rape scene per se. I, we can maybe go into that more later because that's a pretty pivotal moment in the film. But just speaking to the, uh, the overall tone of restraint here, we, we very much, I mean, we see kind of the moments before and after something, right? So, uh, it's not gratuitous by any means. It's enough to establish that, okay, Alex and Tamara have a relationship and the film isn't interested in the actual act of violence or the act of sex, but it's always under the surface. It's always kind of permeating everything we're seeing. And that's really effective, I think. Uh, and just the symbolism of him cutting the wood <laughs> all those shots and scenes of him cutting that wood the first time you see that saw first thing that occurs to me is oh well that saw is going to come into play later on right like someone's gonna oh that would be exactly what you expect absolutely exactly someone's someone's gonna get an arm cut off or something terrible is going to happen with that saw that's going to be an instrument of revenge and when that doesn't happen it's very interesting i i i was pleasantly surprised by that it uh, I was happy that that wasn't something that paid off. It really was a metaphorical uh, device in the film. So I, I really loved those choices. I think uh, it's it's very effective. And as you said, it probably wouldn't play well to a general audience. I think a general audience would look at this and they'd be like, "Come on, let's go! Like, when's it going to happen?" And and the fact that it never quite does is perfect and that's what this film needs that's i think if this film i think a lot of directors would maybe start with a tone like this of restraint just to get to that point where they smack you in the face of something horribly graphic just to try to make it more, more impactful but that would have been totally the wrong choice in this film uh so i'm i'm i was very impressed with with the choices that were made from a directorial standpoint. And from a scripting standpoint, right? I mean, yeah. if we get into the story here, this, as you said, it's a, a film with a lot of restraint in terms of the way it executes it. Because you could take some of those scenes that are in there, the scene where he's beating up the client at the brothel, or even the, the bank robbery scene 
Uh, as Alex robs the bank, he could have, you know, you could have had him hit somebody over the head with his gun or something, right? Or you could have shown as they're escaping how Robert shoots and Tamara gets hit. We know it happens, but it's not actually seen on screen, right? Yeah. So, you know, you see like those are clearly directorial decisions with the script. But even the script itself doesn't really ever go down the road that you would expect a film like this to do. Mm-hmm. As you said, you could easily start with the slow burn approach, right? Okay, we're going to take our time, build, 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 and then there's your cathartic third act where we go off the rails and there's a violent confrontation. Alex, who is feeling as though Robert has uh, murdered Tamara as he shot her in the uh, escape, or you could feel the sense of maybe Robert finds out about the affair that Alex and Suzanne have and then wants to confront him, right? You would expect these things to come together to some kind of massive um, confrontation, and they don't, right? The script itself never brings that about, which I think creates the much more realistic uh, feel here because thinking it through, as much as this is in certain sense heightened because how many people work in a brothel, how many people... Are involved with bank robbery how many police officers ever shoot and kill somebody how often is there a sterile couple that then an affair takes place and the man impregnates the woman right these are obviously anomalies to usual human experience yeah but they play off because there isn't that sort of escalating third act where everything's blown up uh they pl- they come across as being believable and they come across as being realistic for that very reason. Uh, the fact that Alex and Robert, they have that scene, we're expecting it, it's at the pond, something's gonna happen. We have that earlier shot that opens the film that tells us sort of a bomb's gonna explode here. And we then find out that it seems to be that that object that was thrown into the lake was the gun that Alex had planned to use to murder Robert, that he chooses not to kill him after Robert has ran away. And so you see just this wonderful a way in which the script, I think, provides for such a realistic and, dare I say, a, a film of integrity, right? Uh, it becomes a film that has a certain kind of integrity that it takes the characters seriously and tries to actually see through a thematic point uh, that is, I think, perfectly captured in the title, Revanche. It's a, it's a multi-layered title uh, that I think uh, is an interesting one, an interesting choice. I always love unique one-word titles, and this one I think stands as perhaps one of my favorites of the last 10 years, uh, just being uh, such a unique title that I think contains several layers of meaning within it. Uh, As a German word, revanche means revenge, but it can also mean second chance, right? Uh, So it doesn't have to have necessarily the, the same sense of vengeance that we associate with it. And of course, in politics, revanche is a person or rather a a country that's trying to reclaim territory that was lost in a war. So I think all those meanings within that word play out in this film and it ends up giving such a wonderfully complex look at, okay, what is Alex's revanche? What is Suzanne's revanche? What is Robert's revanche? Uh, Even the grandfather, Hausner, uh, that Alex winds up going back and staying with after the bank robbery goes wrong, uh, is living on the dying farm. What's his revanche? Because here he was pretty much resigned to the decline of his life, the decline of his farm. But all of a sudden, as Alex comes back and is cutting the wood and taking part in it, a relationship starts to blossom between grandfather and estranged grandson. 
and he begins playing music again, right? So there's a recovery of sorts that takes place for him. And I think that might be what this film's ultimately about, is about a recovering of something that was lost. It's funny how ludicrous the film sounds when you start to kind of list out everything you just listed out in terms of the plot points. Yes, yeah. right? distill into a sentence and it sounds absolutely like trash, right? It does. It just <laughs> seems like, oh, come on. What are the chances of this happening? This is ridiculous, right? I, of course, uh, of course, you know, truth is stranger than fiction frequently, so it's uh, not out of the realm of possibility that something crazy like this could occur. And I think the Criterion's even, their description of this film is pretty uh pretty accurate they even describe it as uh kind of a tale of you know uh, mythic proportions almost like a greek myth right Mm -hmm. and this i think that's a good way to look at this it has a mythical quality to it it has has a slightly heightened uh um, archetypal sort of structure to it in many ways and i think you kind of have to look at it through that lens but you know, plot points aside and directorially, uh, directorial choices aside, I mean, the performances really have to sell this movie for it to work, right? And I just think the acting in this film is incredible. I mean, it's... Um, without without believable, multifaceted characters, you know, something like this just wouldn't really work. Um but I, I don't know how you felt about performances in general. I think the, the shall we say, fourth leads all nail their part perfectly. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, this is being said by somebody who I studied German, so I, I, I do have a bit of a background. On it. I've not retained a great amount, but I have still the ability to pick up some of the nuance of the language and be able to appreciate it. So this is one of those foreign films where I can actually maybe grasp a bit more of the performances than I might in another language. Uh, But no, I think all of them really create very realistic three-dimensional characters. Uh, It's hard for me to choose which one's the one to really uh, start with here, I think, uh, because each one has such a great arc and a great perspective uh, as far as the character goes. And I think this is when you have a wonderful thing where you have a, a script that really provides you juicy characters but then actors that do something good with those perform with those performances, they don't just sort of sit there and do nothing. I mean, each of them, I think, infuses a humanity into their character. Even the subtle touch, you know, if you look at uh, Irina Potapenko as the prostitute, as Tamara, right? You don't get the sense that this is just a a Hollywood vision of what a prostitute would look like or what a, a cultured person would assume a prostitute is like. You get the sense that that Spielmann in creating this character must have done some real research to learn about what brings a woman to prostitution. And it doesn't ever tell you her backstory. We don't know. We know that she's Ukrainian, that presumably she's in the country illegally uh, because she doesn't have her paperwork and she's obviously beholden to these other powers. So you get the sense of the entrapment she experiences, but you also see that she's while in a horrible position not a horrible person, right? Yeah. Uh, that she's learned through her life experiences, perhaps from past abuse. We can speculate as to what led to this, that this is how she can function. She doesn't think she can do another way. 
but she's not resigned in this depressed state. She does have a truly seeming fully loving and engaging and joyful relationship with Alex, right? And that little touch when they're leaving to go to the bank robbery, which she was against, but she becomes convinced of it after she realizes how her boss, how her pimp is truly a threat to her and she will never really be able to have a a healthy and happy life. Uh, She says this, she makes a, a prayer, right? Uh, just a uh, prayer as they're driving to it. And you think, what's the interesting complexity of that? Obviously, this is a, a real person who has an acknowledgement of something greater than herself and is appealing to it right in the midst of a crime that they're trying to prepare, right? Yeah. But you get the sense of, it's not just like, oh, look at that bizarre little observation I'm creating as a filmmaker. You get the sense that that character would pray that this somehow goes well, right? that this is an opportunity for a new beginning to emerge, even though you might objectively look at the situation and be able to say, this is not a good idea, this is not going to go well, it doesn't seem to compute with God, it nonetheless makes sense for that character to do that. So I think that's one of the performances that I was really taken away by was Irina Potopenko as Tamara. She, I thought, was truly incredible in this role uh, that was given to her. Yeah, she's very convincing, and it, she kind of has a mini arc too. Like you're alluding to, it. she, I mean, she kind of starts out almost. Well, she really is content with the status quo. Indifferent, I think, would be a good word, right? Yeah, indifferent. Yeah, that's probably the better way to. I, I mean, I, I think she wants to improve her circumstances if the opportunity came up, but at the same time, she's not exactly overly ambitious about creating waves, right? She's, oh, she would be okay just to keep working there until she was out of her debt and, and kind of maintain the secret relationship with Alex. And, and she is a, uh, at least a drug user, if not a drug addict. I mean, that's made clear as well. And it seems like Alex supplies her with, with cocaine anyway. Uh, so she's kind of, yeah, indifferent or ambivalent in a way, and I think she kind of sees, at least in the beginning of the film, that, yeah, circumstances are great, but they could be a lot worse. And then when she is pushed, you know, by her pimp to uh, become something she doesn't want to be, yeah, she's compelled to agree with Alex's plan, which which she's still not comfortable with, uh, even as they're executing it. So, yeah, it's an interesting little arc, and yeah, I, I agree with you. I think your performance is really convincing, and um, it's interesting that they don't subtitle the um, when she's speaking Ukrainian. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Actually, I remember I first saw this because uh, it's wrong a pretty the, lengthy bit of dialogue where there's no yeah. subtitles going on, and I was like, oh, I, I I must have turned them off. <laughs> I remember trying to turn them on, and I was like, wait, they're on, right? So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is an interesting decision, but I think it plays off well. And even just the subtitling itself, how they handle her broken German, right? They translate it with a broken English in the subtitles. I think that's 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 a well a nice touch in terms of just the subtitling decision there. Yeah. 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 What were was there a performance, Matt, that you were particularly struck by by one of the other leads? Did you find anything in theirs that you liked? Uh, they're all very good. I mean, I, I mean, Alex as a character, 
I thought, um, is it Johannes Krisch? Krisch? I'm probably butchering that, but his... No, you, you got it. Yeah. Just the subtlety in his facial expressions was incredible. I mean, just that shot of him in the car after Tamara dies where he's just holding back his anguish and holding back his tears. I mean, that that is just a great little piece of acting right there. So I think I was probably struck by him more than anybody because he does so much with... His performance is the kind of performance that I think looks effortless on screen but would be very, very hard to accomplish as an actor uh, because he is so restrained, yet you can read his emotions very clearly. I mean, there's just enough visual cues and facial cues to know, to feel that kind of seething anger that's within him. And it's not a a showy or uh, overly flamboyant um, performance by any means. I mean, there are moments where he kind of lashes out, but I think, uh, yeah, I think that one stood out to me the most. But yeah, all four primary leads are, are, are really good. I, I was... I mean, you really need that, I think, that level of talent, like I was saying, to, to sell this movie, especially from a standpoint of those plot points on paper sound pretty ridiculous. And the way it's played out and the way the material's handled really sells it uh, beautifully. So, I think you're right that Krish is certainly the, of the four, he, naturally it's the lead, right? So he's yeah. going to have more screen time. His character is the protagonist. So it does hinge on him even more so than it does on the others. Although I think his chemistry is very good with all the others in those interactions that do take place. But I think you're you're right to point out that a lot of it is accomplished through physical acting on Krish's part. Uh, I think of his posture in particular, how that's used in this. Those earlier scenes, he does seem very broken down. I mean, the hunched forward shoulders, mm-hmm. he just has this weight on him at all times. And even though he is a physically uh, impressive stature, right? It's not like you ever feel like this is a big tough guy that could really do some damage. You feel like he's a man who has been beaten down by life. Uh, But that at the very end, as you see him in the field, right? As he, as he's at the farm and he's picking up the fruit that's fallen from the trees, you see in his posture a change, right? There is a subtle change that he is somehow through this mourning, through this anger, through the fact that he chooses not to kill Robert, has kind of been reborn, right? And has entered into this reclaiming of himself as he is now tending to the farm, right? That's again, I think, accomplished not through any dialogue. Nothing's ever said like that. He doesn't have that scene where he explains to Suzanne, well, I'm going to stay on here and I, I have found my life's purpose or I, I feel like I have grown in, in this experience. None of that's ever fleshed out in dialogue. I think it's it's conveyed by the way the posture is used in the film uh, or by, in the performance. Um, and I think the other thing you could see in Chris's performance, if we want to delve into, you, you alluded to it earlier, Matt, the sex scene uh, there's kind of, I guess, two in this, right? There's at the very beginning with Alex and Tamara in the shower where it's very, dare I say, romantic. I, is Maybe that's the word for it, uh, right? It's the, it's the typical thing you'd expect to have be uh, what a couple of lovey-doveys would do, right? They're taking a shower together. 
they're rubbing each other, they're, you know, very sensual with each other, right? And it, it conveys that sort of almost a sense of escape, right? I'm trying to escape, we're trying to escape the, the dredge of our life. Whereas in that later scene where Suzanne has invited Alex over, uh, for motives that we don't necessarily immediately understand, yeah. uh, I think we can readily understand that, yes, she's inviting him over for the purpose of a liaison, but... Uh, I don't know if it's immediately obvious that it's maybe uh, done. Perhaps it's not even obvious to her that she's doing this as perhaps an effort to conceive since Robert is sterile. Um, Alex's approach to that is extraordinarily, as you said, violent, right? I mean, it's a very rough, it's it's not rape, uh, but it is a very rough and almost the expression of his anger and a sort of revenge of sorts that he might be taking mm-hmm. on Robert since he knows the nature of the relationship, right? Uh, and it is an interesting juxtaposition. Again, the performance, his performance in those two scenes shows a very different reality and dimension to the character in the different scenes. Well, yeah, back to that scene. I, you know, the lights are turned off, right? So it almost becomes this... It almost comes off as like a murder scene in a way, just the way it's depicted. And it's a very violent... Uh, act, uh, like you said, not quite rape because um, Suzanne is is inviting it. But yeah, Alex is releasing his aggression, and I, I guess one question I have for you is: the film clearly shows Alex maybe not forgiving um, uh, Robert for for his, uh, for what occurred, but he obviously chooses not to kill him, right? He throws the gun in the pond. Now, is that, do you think that's because he has decided that revenge is not worthwhile, or do you feel that he, his revenge was the affair, and that was maybe enough in his mind? Uh, That's kind of one question I, I was asking myself at the end of the film. Does he feel like he has taken his revenge? I mean, granted, I don't think he knows of the child that was conceived, presumably by him. But um, that, I guess that's one question I had. You know, what what does he consider revenge to be? Or does he consider revenge uh, that it has been taken by the end of the film? Any thoughts on that? I don't think it's that he feels the affair was the revenge because if, if the sequencing had played out that he learned of the child prior to the encounter with Robert, perhaps that would be the case. But since he learned, that's at the very end of the film that he realizes that Suzanne realizes all the way it's all connected. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably not that my suspicion is that it's almost the recognition of his own failings. Right. Because, Robert is saying, you know, he said, what if he comes to kill you? And Robert basically says, let him, right? I mean, he he's Robert is resigned to the fact that he has murdered a person uh, or not murdered, perhaps, but at least killed a person and is dealing with that and is so guilt stricken with it that I don't think he would even work to defend himself mm-hmm. if he realized who Alex was. Right. Yeah. And the, the fact that he does say, but I would like to know why was she there? Right. What on earth that do? I think it's almost a recognition of Alex saying, 
I'm as culpable in this as he is. Mm-hmm. That's what I took it as. And it's in that that there's almost a reclaiming of himself. Uh, so, again, that's that's where I love this title, Revanche, because on one level, there's that immediate sense of revenge. That seems to be the driving force, but I think it actually goes deeper into that other meaning of, of a reclaiming, of a second chance, that Alex chooses not to settle for that first immediate re- meaning, but then goes deeper into trying to find the actual uh, cathartic meeting, right? He actually tries to find something that's going to, to heal, redeem, renew, as opposed to just simply destroy again. I think that's, that's the subtlety of this film. I think that's the, the, the genius of this film. I agree. I think Alex realizes that ultimately he's the one responsible for her death, right? And, that's why he decides to, to throw the gun away. At least that's how I took it. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it never... As you said, this film could so easily spill over into exploitation territory, and it just it's, uh, it walks that tightrope very effectively all the way through. Mm-hmm. I'll give credit to that for Spielmann, I think, in terms of how he executed... The story and how he conceived of the story. Uh, I did a little bit of background on him. This is the only film of his that I've seen. And he had a background in theater. And in many ways, you could see how that would be here, right? Because it is very character-driven, yeah. very unflashy. Uh, the the performances are very much at the heart of a lot of how we come to understand what's going on. But at the same time, I don't see this feeling like, well, this is kind of a play, but with cameras, Right. It really does feel like a movie in of itself. It doesn't feel like this is something by somebody who has a background in theater. I would not have necessarily guessed that about Spielmann from just watching this film. Uh, the cinematography here, I think, is extremely good in terms of a few things that are going on. Number one is the compositions. Uh, there's a lot of very intricate composition that's taking place, particularly how they frame characters within their settings, mm-hmm. the way in which... The uh, production design is used, uh, particularly creating frames within the frame uh, that can create that sense of being entrapped. It can create that sense of being perhaps distant from one another. Uh, There are times where it plays out like that. I think there's a lot of thought that goes into this particular use of cinematography here, but also just in terms of what kind of shots are used. There aren't a lot of close-ups. There aren't a lot of... uh, you know, typical cuts back and forth. There isn't a ton of coverage that's taking place. A lot of the scenes play out in a medium shot, right? So you mm-hmm. have this wonderful way in which he allows the actors to interact with each other on screen, which I think always makes the performances much more relatable, right? I think we, we uh, in the hyper-edited way in which we approach filmmaking now, can sometimes lose the dynamic connection of actors and performances but you see a sort of way in which things develop and move uh, on this particular film because they hold these medium-length shots for a pretty substantial length of time. But never would I say does the cinematography look dull or flat uh, because even how they might put somebody within the frame of those shots is always very much revelatory. It's, it's, it's get communicating ideas to us in the audience. Yeah, you, you spoke of his um, stage experience. It, a lot of the shots is very much the proscenium, right? It just feels 
like almost like a stage like composition in some of the scenes and yeah, it's effective. I, I, I really like this style a lot. I think, um, I'm always fascinated with, like I've said many times, just this idea of economical film, just, uh, really creating an effective scene with minimal cuts and really deliberate shots in terms of how things are composed and, and set up. And yeah, this, this shows how effective that can be. Um, but it's right for the material, right? I mean, it's uh, the material is the the storyline, the the events are restrained to a point, and the the style of the film has to reflect that. So it's not a style that would work for every story by any means, and the um, the choices here are worthwhile. I, I there are a couple shots. Yeah, I, one that always stands out to me too is the the shot in the brothel with the mirror. Uh, when he's apologizing to that patron for for beating him up, that's a great, basically a shot reverse shot in one shot, right? <laughs> yeah, we're mm-hmm, seeing mm-hmm. we're seeing Alex, and then we're seeing who he's talking to simultaneously. And uh, yeah, sometimes all you have to do is find a, a compelling setup and just run the camera and let the scene play out, and it can be really effective. And I think the other element of this is just the fact that there's no musical score. Yeah. Right. Everything. The sound design is very much just the the environment. Right. It, there's so it, it also helps to avoid the sense of heightened drama or melodrama. Right. It, it eliminates a lot of that sense of artifice because there is no score. And I guess I just say this is clearly the work of a man with an artistic vision who caresses everything together, or I should say corrals everything together. So this is the work of a man with artistic vision who corrals everything together in order to really marshal a film towards achieving that thematic purpose. Uh, I think it's very smart, as you said, economic filmmaking, but also clearly thoughtful filmmaking as well. I mean, can we shoot on an economy, you usually have to be thoughtful because you don't have a bunch of time to do whatever you want and just see what'll work later on in post. Uh, so it's yeah, it's it's just a wonderful wonderful treat as a as a as a example of how to do a film. Well, Matt, what are your thoughts? Uh, did you get a chance to watch any of the uh, special features on the Criterion Channel for this? Uh, as usual, no, I did not have time. I apologize. <laughs> No, no worries. I uh, I picked this Blu-ray up years ago, well before Filmstruck was even a thing and the Criterion Channel following it. So I have this on disc. And uh, there's a couple of good interviews. There's a documentary made about the making of it. It's about 40 minutes long. Uh, that's pretty pretty good. I would definitely recommend it in terms of just seeing how they approach scenes. Uh, it's much more meaningful and substantive than your typical uh, documentary, making of documentary would be. And then there's an interview with Spielmann himself just discussing his ideas on filmmaking and his ideas on this movie in particular. And it also includes a, a short film that he made as a student, Foreign Land, uh, which definitely has the same feel and tone as this film does. It's clearly not as developed and it was made on a very small budget, but it's it's got certainly the, the, the artistic vision that matures into revanche already present in it. So clearly uh, 
Spielmann has a voice and uh, has been able to develop that voice uh, much to our benefit here. Um, well, Matt, any closing thoughts on the film itself before we get into discussing whether it belongs in the Criterion Collection? I was just really impressed overall. I mean, I, I think this is one of the best films I've seen in quite a while. I I was completely engrossed by it. I, I you know, I love the style. It, um, as I'm getting older, I, I've come to really appreciate slower films a lot more and and just seeing seeing the wheels of the director's mind at work, right? We can kind of see, see his hand throughout this whole film and just creates a very effective, you know, compelling, uh, experience, even though, as we said, the plot points on paper are, are ludicrous, but it's an accomplishment that, um, the film was able to, to make all that work in such an effective way. So I, I, like this film a lot. I look forward to revisiting it down the road. I agree. When I first saw it, I had that same sense of, man, I have not seen a movie of this quality in a long time. So it was a real refreshing thing to experience that and to be able to have that feeling of, wow, a great adult, mature, thoughtful film. I wish we had more of these because it gave you that sort of sense of inspiration as a, a, a fan of the cinema. Right, to know that this kind of filmmaking is taking place even now today in our abundance of, of um, superheroes and other kinds of spectacle, you can find these great, very thoughtful, mature films being made. And it made under $200,000 at the U.S. box office. So, you know. <laughs> yes, it did. Put that in your I saw, I saw that as well. So. <laughs> yeah. We're done. Hopefully it did well in Austria. I don't know, but hopefully it did. Yeah, I hope so. I, but, you know, we're, yeah. we're done as a society pretty much. So, Yeah. There's a time where, you know, because I remember, it really wasn't that long ago, to go back 20 years, a film, a foreign film could make decent bank at the box office, yeah. right? It could make a few million bucks. And they're just dying now because of the way the audiences go to theaters. Hopefully people can find it through through streaming. I, I feel like there's, there's probably a lot of other great foreign films out there that are just not, they just aren't discovered really. Right. I mean, Amazon prime has a ton of foreign films and foreign television shows on there too, that, uh, I wish were a little bit more curated so people could find them. Uh, but I've managed to find a few, uh, just browsing around, but I, I feel like this is something that I'm glad Criterion kind of brought it to our attention. But uh, yeah, it reminds us there's I think there's gems to be found out there, you know. Well, really, I think part of the reason why this kind of film doesn't really succeed anymore is because you have just too much content out there, yeah. right? I mean, audiences can only process so many options before they get that paralysis and when you only had maybe five or six foreign films a year that people kind of heard about that made it into discussions or had some sort of reputation behind them they naturally could make a little bit more bank but now that they pretty much disappear with all this stuff that gets dumped online um, or maybe it gets a little bit of a theatrical window but it's so short now that it doesn't have time to grow and get a, a following I think you then wind up having films like this no longer being caught because of that. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Matt, what are your thoughts? Does this belong in the Criterion Collection? It's kind of a tough question, I guess. You know, it's... I mean, I'll say yes because I really like the film a lot, but to me this is part of why I love Criterion is they will find films like this and bring them to our attention, right? I mean, this is something that probably never would have found without Criterion. You know, is it a classic or great contemporary film? You can make the argument that it stands out just in in terms of 20th century film. Uh, it was nominated for an Academy 21st. Award. 21st. Or excuse me, 21st century. 21st, thank you. <laughs> Uh, which year is it? Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, 21st Century. Was nominated for an Academy Award, certainly. Um, so, in the spirit of Criterion bringing us effective world cinema in the modern age, I think it's worth inclusion. I'm going to say it does as well. I think, certainly I would say this is a great film. I have no hesitancy in saying that. You know, that question about an important contemporary film. This hasn't had any sort of major cultural impact. Like you said, made less than $200,000 in the U.S. box office. I've never heard people talk about this as a great film that inspired them. Maybe down the road it might, but it's 10 years old, and I imagine most people have never heard of it or seen it. And Spielmann has not used this as a point to become some great major filmmaker. I think he's only made one other feature film since this. So it hasn't had those usual uh, markers that you might use for important. But I would say I think it's important because it's a way to show people that there is another way of using cinema, right? It doesn't have to be the stuff that usually is getting spoon-fed to us in theaters. It doesn't have to be a franchise. It doesn't have to be the usual conventions. You can approach film in a much more intelligent, mature, thoughtful way. Uh, so for that reason, I see there's an importance in this film in terms of just letting us know that quality films still exist and that you can approach cinema with a new eye uh, that isn't always going to be seen the way other people uh, would normally t- typically look at them. Well, thank you all for joining us for our discussion this evening. Please join us next month when we will be discussing Beyond the Hills, which will be premiering in the first Friday of September. Thank you, and keep collecting. Again, this constant sense of foreboding. Um, Simon, we're recording here, buddy. you got to be quiet, please. Sorry about that. Not a problem. It's cool. We got we got a special guest on the uh, on the podcast. Start yeah, with our young. That's yeah. That's my son. Everybody.